So Jesus, we ask that you would revive us through the power of your word. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, about a year ago, I, uh, I gave a sermon where instead of sermon points, I gave you all an equation. Uh, and it was grace plus truth plus vision plus time equals transformation. And a lot of you really liked the equation format better than the sermon point format because you said that you liked math. Just want to let you know there's therapy for that. If you need that, just, you, can, you can be healed from that. But since so many of you like that today, I'm going to give you another equation in a minute. This fall, we've been doing a sermon series called Revive about how God revives a lot of things. And that word revival, I know it kind of carries connotations of tent meetings and preachers trying to get you to convert. That's not what I mean when I say revival. It's bigger than that. God revives lots of things. Revives us spiritually and emotionally. Uh, revives marriages, families. Revives folks out of poverty. So what in your life needs to be revived? The story that Kendi just read for us is, is a story about the mother of all revivals. Jesus has been raised from the dead, ascended to heaven. He's promised the Holy Spirit. And in Pentecost, a Jewish holiday, the Holy Spirit comes and launches a revival, the effects of which are still being felt 2,000 years later. That is a big revival. And this text shows us that the formula for revival is this. Holy Spirit plus community plus generosity equals revival. Whether that's something in our, reviving something in our personal lives or more generally speaking, Holy Spirit plus community plus generosity equals revival. So I'm going to take those one at a time. Holy Spirit. Now that can be kind of a freaky term. You know, when I was a little kid, they called the Holy Ghost, you know, kind of scary. Let me just define it. Uh, it's the Spirit of God himself living inside of us, giving us power. And this passage shows that revival, whether it's personal or out there, is, is not something we do. It's something that God does through his Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural thing. You know, notice what this passage does not say. It does not start by saying, behold, the disciples came together around a whiteboard and developed a five-year strategy for revival. <laughs> now, there's a place for that, but this is a supernatural event from start to finish. There were tongues of fire. They were speaking in different languages. In his sermon, Peter says it's a fulfillment of what the prophet Joel had predicted centuries earlier. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And notice the verb. God doesn't say, I'll eke out my spirit. God doesn't say, I'll dole out my spirit. I'll give you a little dab of my spirit. God says, I will pour out my spirit. John Ortberg, who's pastor at my former church, tells a story about how not too long ago he got this huge water bill, $2,000 for just one month. And he was pretty ticked off about that, so he decided to call the water company. And his wife said, okay, but, but do it with Jesus, okay? Just, you know, be nice. So he said, okay. So he called the company and he said, hello, my name is John. I'm a pastor. Actually, I'm a Presbyterian pastor, but my water bill looks like I'm a Baptist. <laughs> Tur turns out... <laughs> I like that one, yeah. Tur turns out they had some kind of leak and the water was pouring out all over their yard. They didn't know about it, right? Th that's an image of this passage. For revival, we need an overflowing outpouring of the Spirit who makes bored people excited, depressed people joyful, and can re-energize our lives with power and with passion and with joy. Sounds good, right? So how do we get it? Two ways. First, you've got to ask. 
Now, if you know Jesus, you already have the Holy Spirit, but we always need to ask for more and a deeper experience of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, one of the things I love about this church, and I've talked about this before, many of you know this power. I mean, we've got this presbycostal thing going on here that I just, I think is kind of cool, right? We need more presbycostal stuff going on. And costal, I guess. Anyway, and then the second thing, and this is important, I think this is the most, we've got to ask for it. The second thing, and I think this is the most important thing, is we've got to follow the Apostle Paul who tells us, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Because in a lot of ways, I, and, and maybe sometimes you, I try to contain the Spirit and control the Spirit because in some ways we are afraid of the Spirit. A couple of years ago at a men's retreat, Greg Milliken, who was then our youth pastor, who now lives in California, he and I were teaching. And as many of you know, Greg is one of our more Pentecostal brothers in Christ, right? And before he got up to teach on a Saturday morning, he said to me, what are my limits today, boss? And I said, no limits, no limits today, right? And then he got up and I thought, never say that to Greg, never, right? <laughs> sure enough, at the end of his talk, he said, we're going to pray for someone to be healed. And instantly, I was scared of two things. I was scared that nothing was going to happen. I was scared that something was going to happen, <laughs> which is a really difficult place to be, right? Sure enough, a guy who had shoulder pain for years was miraculously healed. And he even went out that day and tested it, going on the ropes course, and to this day, still healed. Now, why was I scared? Because I'm Presbyterian. I don't want the spirit going all over the place, you know, making people crazy. That's messy, right? I like to be in control. Plus, I have been taught to be very, very cynical of anything supernatural. But here's the thing. There is a supernatural world. There are spiritual forces at work in our world. The God who made nature is still involved in nature. And I have seen it. I have several friends who have been miraculously healed of cancer or infertility. The doctors, they couldn't explain the healing. They said it was uncurable. Boom. Prayer. I have had my hands on people twice and prayed that they be delivered from emotional and demonic oppression and have seen a dramatic and very kind of, whoa, moment where something that was oppressing them came out of them and they were healed. There is a spiritual world. And revival is spiritual. It's supernatural. So we need to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. And then do what the Holy Spirit says to do will lead to revival, even if folks are going to think we're crazy. Otherwise, we're going to quench the Spirit. I love the, the line in this story where the crowds, you laughed at it, and you know, crowds are watching the disciples experience the Holy Spirit, and they say, they're drunk, right? They've had too much wine. And then Peter gets up and says, no, it's only nine in the morning. Like, that stops some people, right? <laughs> no, no, no. It's not. See, the, the, the point being, when we really get the Holy Spirit in us, people are going to think we're crazy. We're going to act a little maybe weird sometimes and do things that seem a little nuts. And this would be the biggest reason that I don't experience the Spirit's power more than I do because I am afraid to be out of control and I am terrified about what other people are going to think of me. So I sort of, sort of bottle the Spirit up and kind of stifle the nudges I feel. But that quenches the Spirit's power. A woman in our church named Robin helps in our inner healing prayer ministry and, and she says that when she first started, she didn't want to be the main prayer, just the support person. And then she went to a prayer conference in Tacoma, and there were these three strangers praying for her, and one of them said, I think there's something about your ministry that scares you. And Robin said, no, I don't think so. Right then, across the room, there was this shriek from someone who was being delivered from some kind of emotional or maybe even a demonic oppression, this loud shriek, and Robin said, that, that, that's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> And so the woman said, oh, that, that happens all the time, right? 
And so they kept praying for Robin that, that she would realize that God wanted her to pray with the authority that he had given her no matter what. And she said that ever since then, she has seen all kinds of just miraculous things happen in prayer because she get, began to pray in a way and do things that are kind of contained, logical, buttoned-up, east-side culture thinks is a little weird. But as a result, she's experiencing the Spirit's power. To be revived, we need an overflowing experience of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, step two, plus community. Revival does not happen in isolation, whether it's personal or out there. Right? We need other people to pray for us, encourage us, help us experience God's love through them. But not just any kind of community. The community in this story has two characteristics. One, it was authentic. And by that, I mean nobody was trying to impress anybody else. They were who they were, warts and all. Because when we are fully known and still accepted, that revives us. The second thing about this community is there's a lot of unity in diversity. In the story, people of different nationalities miraculously heard the disciples speaking to them in their own native language. It's an undoing of the Tower of Babel story in Genesis. Where folks try to build a tower to heaven and God knocks it down, the people are scattered, get different languages. This undoes that. And the point is the Holy Spirit connects us with folks very different than we are. A couple years ago, my family and I were in the Bay Area and decided to take our kids to Chinatown in San Francisco. You know, as you know, my wife is Chinese-American, and we thought it would be good for them to kind of get in touch with their Chinese roots. And as we were driving into the city, my daughter said to, to, to her, my son, Jackson, Jackson, we're going to get to see Chinese people. <laughs> it was the way she said it, right? Chinese people. And my wife and I said, you are Chinese people, right? <laughs> I think it was the first time they realized that they were Chinese. I don't think it ever occurred to them, right? Even though all throughout, I've always said to people, you know, hey, my kids don't look like me because they look so Chinese, you know, except my son. Actually, if you look at pictures of me when I was young and compare them, my son actually does look like me, me if I were Chinese. <laughs> and I just love the fact that my kids do not see those divisions. And you see that in the Joel prophecy that Peter quotes. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on a couple of people. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. So young and old together. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit. Now, this would have shocked a first century audience. Because always before, the spirit of God was thought to be for special people, maybe priests or pastors or something like that. This is a radical democratization of the Holy Spirit where it's poured out on everyone, slave and free, rich and poor, the pastor and the toddler in the nursery, everybody. You know, one of the ways that we could apply this here is to begin to break down some of the generational divisions that exist in our culture because sometimes there is just a gap between generations in our culture. A woman in our church said that she and her husband were putting together their will with their lawyer and uh, discussing the inheritance that their 22-year-old son would get. And the lawyer said, well, maybe you want to put an age limit on that because, you know, sometimes young men, they get a lot of money, they just spend it all on boats and cars and stuff like that. And she said, no, not our, not our, not our Johnny. No, 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 no way, right? Then she went home and she said to her son, do you know that lawyer said that if we died, you'd spend all the money on boats and cars? And he said, well, mom, the car would remind me of dad and the boat would remind me of you. 
She didn't feel affirmed in that moment, right? Sometimes there's this gulf, this gap between generations. And, and, you know, now even in our culture, churches are divided generationally, where there are churches for older people and churches for younger people. But when you read that prophecy out of Joel, right, that is not what God intends, which is why I'm glad we've got a lot of generations here. In fact, most revivals in history have been intergenerational, where students and young adults play a key role in bringing the energy and the vision and the passion that can fuel revival, with older adults bringing experience and, importantly, modeling what it looks like to follow Jesus for a lifetime, not just a season. Now, sometimes when a pastor talks about generations, some folks can start to think, ah, he only cares about the young people in the church. And man, if I have ever done anything or said anything to give anybody that, I am so sorry, because that is absolutely not my heart. I mean, one of the things I love about this church is that we have the coolest older people on the planet, right? Many of you have walked the walk of faith sacrificially and radically for a lifetime, and you inspire me, and you inspire the young people in our church, and they want to be around you. You know why? Because they want to be like you. I often tell folks both inside and outside our church the story of of how uh, Journey with the Village got started years ago, mostly by a group of retired people, and how they went to Guatemala, got shot at by government troops, shot at by guerrilla troops, bushwhacked into the jungle, found a village that we then partnered with until that village was economically self-sustaining. And a lot of the people who were part of that were, were retired folks. I told that story to one young man in our church, and he said, man, with grandmas like that, a church could do a lot. And I said, that's right, we got the coolest grandmas and grandpas ever, ever, right? And you know what, older folks, and I'll just let you define for yourselves what that phrase means, right? You know, we got some of the coolest younger people, students and young adults in this church, man, they are amazing. They inspire me, they have vision and passion and creativity, and they want older folks in their lives. This is the generation that often was neglected by the adults in their lives, and they want you in their lives. And revival begins when the passion of the young combines with the experience of older folks. Bell Perez, can we be that church? I don't know a church out there that's doing that. Can we be that church? Lots of ways to do it. The marriage mentoring program, be part of our youth ministries, intergenerational mission trips, maybe simply go say hello to someone of a different generation after the service today. Holy Spirit plus community, and the third ingredient Radical generosity. Text says that these early Christians sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Radical generosity leads to revival, personally as well as corporately. Kevin Williams, who's our youth director, told me a story about how he and his wife always used to look forward to February, probably the only people that ever did. And the reason was because Kevin, before Kevin worked here, he and his wife were classified as the working poor. But in February, they got all their tax information and could figure out their tax refund. They called it Second Christmas. Well, one time he and his wife were dreaming about how to spend their refund, and, and his wife felt the Holy Spirit just kind of nudged her to give some money to a friend of hers named Katie. Turns out Kevin had been feeling the same thing. So Kevin said, well, how much are you thinking? And his wife said, $3,000. And Kevin said, funny, that's exactly what I was thinking as well. So they bought a card, wrote the check, and then wrote the Bible verse out of Joel where God says to Israel after their crops have been destroyed by locusts, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. And Kevin just felt it was something that Katie and her husband, who were church planners and living on next to nothing, they just needed to hear it. 
Well, two months later, Kevin and his wife got a card from Katie and her husband thanking them for the money, saying it helped them meet some needs they didn't know how they are going to pay for. But even more, thanked them for the scripture because they'd been in a season where it seemed like the locusts were just eating everything and the combination of the money and the scripture gave them a renewed, you could even say revived sense that God was with them and caring for them. But Kevin said it also encouraged and revived him and his wife. Because in hearing how God was faithful to Katie and her husband, they could better see how God was caring for them. Okay, when you are classified as working poor, $3,000 is radical generosity. But it led to revival for their friends, but also for Kevin and for his wife personally. Generosity leads to revival personally and corporately. That's why the Bible says a good place to start with all of that is to tithe. Oh, man. It's fall, it must be stewardship. Hey, last year I gave you a whole stewardship sermon. This year it's just one point, okay? So you're getting off easy this year. Word tithe comes from the Old Testament where God says to give at least 10% of your income to the church that you are a part of. And yes, scripture is pretty clear that the first 10% goes to the worshiping community you're a part of to help to to support the ministries of that place. And there are scriptures that I put in the bulletin that, that, that show that. And I'm just going to pause on that for a moment. I've never done this. But you know, what you do with God's money is between you and God. But as a pastor, I'm here to tell you what scripture says. It says the first 10% goes to the church you're a part of. Argue with scripture if you don't like that. Now, the New Testament ups the ante by saying giving should be sacrificial, which makes many people say, let's go back to the Old Testament. Um, so for many of us, and my wife and I would be in this category, 10% is not enough at our income level. So we give 10% to this church and then over and above give other money to lots of other Christian causes. But the reason that I mention it here honestly is not to make you feel judged or guilty. Honest, it's for your sake. Honest. Because as I've said many times, tithing frees us in two ways. First, we see God provide, maybe not for our wants, but for our needs. Now, I get dozens of people every year tell me how they tithe, even if they don't have very much money, and they just, they see God provide, which builds their, their, their faith in God, which decreases their worries about money. And the second way it frees us is we discover that we can be happy on less than we think we need. And you know, and I know, I know we're a big church and it doesn't seem like we need the money, but you know, yeah, we do. Big churches have lots of people, you know, with lots of needs. But more than that, I really believe God uses this church to revive a lot of things. You know, every year I get dozens of emails of how lives have been changed through this church. Marriage is saved through a ministry of this church. Youth who are headed down a destructive path turned around by our youth ministries. Our worship services are watched online on every continent in the world except Antarctica. So we got some work on the penguin ministry that we got to do, but, you know, which is why we need your tithing. But, you know, those penguins need Jesus too, you know. Uh, we are all throughout, people are being revived. On top of that, the support we give locally to places like the Jubilee Reach Center, Eastside Academy, globally, Africa, Cambodia, Haiti, we are helping people out of poverty in the name of Jesus. In fact, one of the things I love about this church is that as a church, we actually practice the discipline of tithing. We give 11% of our operating budget away to help folks who will never come to this church out there, on top of all the other special offerings that we have to give even more money away. You know, and a lot of you do tithe. Thank you. You are reviving people all over the place. And I know some of you don't. So start. And I have never said it that bluntly before. But the reason I say it is honest, right? Honest because it will set you free. Honest. It's for you. I know, Pastor Talk, it's hard to believe. Honest. It will set you 
free. And I know, I know there's lots of other things. You know, I know, you know, people say to me all the time, well, I give to other things. I don't give to the church. You know, I give to the Huskies. Well, Lord knows they need something. But, you know, <laughs> really, revival, I don't, maybe it fits into revival, but, you know, here, right? Because we need you for revival. If everyone in this church tithed, we could help a lot more folks in poverty, more youth and family, more children. If everyone tithed. As I shared with you about a year ago, two years ago, our elders adopted a 20-year plan to purchase the six houses immediately north of us on the upper, upper campus, there on 100. And this was a 20-year plan, and some of it was going to be used for staff housing, others to help folks in need. 20-year plan. Well, within one year, five of those houses came up for sale, and we were able to, through your generosity, buy them without having to take on a lot of debt. So our 20-year plan became our one-year plan. Okay, here's the update. As of Friday, two days ago, we now have a long-term lease on house number six mm -hmm, with the option to buy it whenever the owner wants to sell it. 20-year plan done in two. You see, when we get on board with where God is moving, amazing things start to happen. Now, two of those houses are for staff. Two are used to house students from Eastside Academy, the school for at-risk teens that meets here. Because for years, they have dreamed of having a house. Is that a coincidence? Of course not. You know, some of these students are homeless. Others come from homes where they are not physically safe. Others where there's drug abuse, which doesn't help them recover from their addictions. So now we have a home for boys and a home for girls with house parents in each that's helping revive kids out of cycles of poverty and addiction and homelessness. On top of that, house number four now has young adult interns living there who help out with our youth ministry here and with, Eastside Academy, with the Eastside Academy homes. So this whole block has become an intentional Christian community, loving on the youth from our church and loving on the youth from Eastside Academy. A few months ago, right after we opened the Eastside Academy homes, one of the girls who was living in one of those homes helped lead music right here in modern worship. And the first song she sang was called How He Loves Us. And the words, listening to her sing, to me it was so powerful. The words were, he is jealous for me. Loves like a hurricane, I am a tree, bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory, and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Now, I have no idea what her background is. I just know it was rough. And as I watched her sing those words about how much her heavenly father loves her, knowing that he has provided a safe place for her to live through this church, man, I was holding back tears. A few weeks ago at the Eastside Academy auction, the students did what's called cardboard testimonies, where on one side of a piece of cardboard, they write in big letters what their life was like before Jesus, and then on the other side, life after Jesus, and then show it to the audience. This same girl who sang that song, her cardboard, it said, I thought I was a, dirt, a dirty crackhead. Now I know I'm clean in his eyes. If that's not revival, I don't know what it is. It was fueled by the Holy Spirit happened in a, in a multi-generational community. I mean, a woman who's been labeled an at-risk teen singing in a Presbyterian church, don't see that every day, right? Made possible by your generosity, Holy Spirit plus community plus radical generosity equals revival in your life, in my life, and in our world. So this week, ask for the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit and do what he says to do. Don't worry about what other people are going to think. 
Reach out to other Christians, you know, maybe even someone younger or older, and start tithing if you don't do it already so you can be set free. Because here's the thing, I believe to my core that God is on the move in the east side and that this church plays a significant role in bringing revival. Not the only role, but a significant role. And that we are equipped. The Holy Spirit is alive and welcome here. Many of you are generous. And we have the chance to do something that, that, that no church I know of is doing. Be truly multi-generational where the passion of the young combines with the wisdom of the old. Holy Spirit plus community plus generosity. You know, as that happens more and more here, the Holy Spirit's going to blow the roof off this place. And we're going to see our lives and the east side transformed as we step into the revival that God is already doing so that up there comes down here in your life, in my life, in this church, in other churches, on Bellevue Way, in Bellevue Square, Redmond Town Center, Issaquah, Kirkland, Renton. God is on the move. And when God is on the move, you better watch out because all hell's going to break loose, literally. So Jesus, thank you so much that you are on the move. Holy Spirit, our prayer this week is that you would come in power in ways that inspire us, empower us, and Lord, in ways that even scare us and push us out of our comfort zone. Lord, we need revival in our own lives. We long to see our world revived. In the name of Jesus, we ask this all. Amen.